Well, hello from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael Benner with this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. This is a class that's free and available to you and everyone you know right here, live and also through perpetual replay. In personal and spiritual development topics, this is all about our human potential, our transpersonal potential, and uh, self-management, understanding who we are, why we think and feel and act the way we do, what we're for, along with practical tools, techniques, skill sets to help you be more effective in your life, to manage your thoughts and your feelings, to get the kind of clarity that we're looking for and sensitivity, what's been called the ageless wisdom. Imagine that there is a a body of knowledge, or maybe better said, um, a body of understanding that's available to you, but only if and when you calm yourself down. Only when you quiet the mind and then calm the emotional nature. Do you have the eyes to see, so to speak, or the ears to hear the wisdom that stands above you? Call it the sixth sense. You can call it intuition. The the name is not really all that important. You can refer to it by the technique, meditation or contemplation, um, just relaxation and stress management, slow, deep breathing and a little relaxation. is all it takes, really, with a little bit of practice and the intention to know yourself. Lots of people don't want to know who they are. They're terrified of this information for fear that they'll discover that they really are inadequate, that uh, all of the <clears throat> negative programming that uh, we've received from our parents or bad teachers or other authority figures in our lives, that that those folks might have a point, that we might really be stupid or bad or um, unattractive or nobody will like us or whatever form of inadequacy you fear, you've got, a, unfortunately, a, a champion in your head uh, that's telling you that you're not very good. Everybody's got one. It's, in some of us, a little louder and a little more persistent than others. But to manage that voice, it's just a matter of really calming it down, uh, feeling safe and relaxed, and as the emotional nature becomes calm, the mental nature becomes quiet, and you begin to understand. I mean, it's really that simple. Got no religion for you. We look at all religion and do it in a comparative way and an inclusive way. And today, we're going to honor Manly Hall, the late philosopher, Manly passed on only about uh, 15 or 16 years ago. Let's see, I think it was 1970, uh, uh, I don't mean to say 71, um, was it uh, 91 or 2001? It was 1991 uh, that Manly passed, so 17, 18 years ago. Hard to believe it's been that long. I remember lecturing at the Philosophical Research Society 
those of you in LA may may have been there. Maybe you came to one of my presentations back in the 80s, right there on uh, Los Feliz Boulevard at Griffith Park Boulevard. Uh, if you've never been inside, I bet you've driven by and and seen that little building on the corner, Los Feliz and Griffith Park Boulevard, and wondered why is there a Sphinx in the front yard? You know, <laughs> what is that all about? Well, that institute since Manley died has not been what it once was, of course. Um, everything about, <clears throat> excuse me, everything about PRS, the Philosophical Research Society, was centered around Manley. With his passing, with his death at age uh, 90 or 91, I think he was born in 1900 and died in 1991, so he would have been 90 or 91 years old. And uh, like everybody that gets to that advanced age, he had his health problems. But there was really no attempt to find a successor for Manley, an individual or a small core group that would carry on the work. Basically, PRS was inherited by a group of local Los Angeles Masons, Freemasons, uh, some of whom appreciated the esoteric nature of what Manley represented. Many did not. And nobody had the ability to carry forward the work that Manley had done. Manley's written, as I said in the newsletter this week, more than 200 books and essays and yet he never really uh, eclipsed his very first work, uh, the, what's often called by his students the big book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages, published first in 1926, when Manley was again but 26 years old, born in 1900 in Canada. And this is a marvelous book on Freemasonry, on its links to Rosicrucianism, also to Hermetic and Kabbalistic philosophy. Hermetic being based on Hermes Trismegistus, the uh, prophet of ancient Egypt, and uh, Kabbalah being the mysticism of uh, the Hebrew tribe of uh, the ancient Jews. And Manley bound all of that up along with Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism in Again, what's often called the big book, titled The Secret Teachings of All Ages. That was his magnum opus. That was the best thing he ever did. Um, Manley was the, the son of adepts. His parents were philosophers, philosophically minded and interested in the esoteric and the arcane. So they handed the to him the curiosity in such matters, the richness of metagore and allegory and a passion for comparative religion and philosophy. And today we're going to talk about the seven laws of life, which you can reference from a book he wrote in 1965, published anyway in 1965, called Questions and Answers. This is sort of an FAQ for esotericists. Uh, Questions and Answers is a, uh, a book I always liked. Uh, frequently asked questions and answers. I think he had all these answers, and he just wrote the questions to create a pretext for writing brief essays on each of the answers. Um, 
but maybe there were questions that people had asked him over the years. But the seven laws of life that we're going to talk about today uh, is 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 cool. It's a list of key principles, and everybody likes lists. And we, uh, you know, we're going to count them down like David Letterman. Only there's seven instead of ten. And actually, we'll count up, not down. But I'm not sure the order matters. We'll we'll leave that to you to decide as we get into it today. Of course, we'll. Uh, Take your um, comments by the web a little later in the program and uh, do a guided imagery exercise before we close out. If uh, you have to leave in the middle, remember you can listen by uh, uh, by telephone as well. You can dial us up on the uh, cell phone and take it with you. Put it on speaker and listen in the car or while you're shopping, whatever. Uh, or if you're not able to do that and you have to leave halfway through, we usually go just under an hour and a half, an hour 15 to an hour 30. And um, the, the visualization exercise is the last part. And if you do have to leave and you uh, are not able to listen by telephone, remember the replays are available on my website, theagelesswisdom.com. The word the is part of the URL, so it's the w's dot theagelesswisdom.com. Click on homepage to come inside and then web teleconferences, and you'll see all the past programs there, even the upcoming program beginning a day or two before each class. It's a great way if you misplace your newsletter to, to come on inside. I want to remind you also, I mentioned this before we started, as I was setting up the, uh, the program for today before I started the recorder. Remember the archive for the newsletter also at focuspassion.blogspot.com. There's a lot of cool stuff in these newsletters and a lot that you can learn just from going through past newsletters. And they're all archived together at uh, focusedpassion.com. Dot blogspot.com the w's dot focused passion dot blogspot dot com and focus passion of course a reference to our sister website focuspassion.com where my partner Steve and I do a premium audio podcast high fidelity high quality in depth we call them uh, inspirational Compelling Conversations and Guided Meditations. That's it. Compelling Conversations and Guided Meditations. And uh, there's a half a dozen that are free and a bunch of excerpts. A whole learning program is free at that site. All kinds of uh, uh, text articles and e-books are available for free at that site. And if you like the work we're doing, even if you want to listen to this program for free, but you'd like to make a contribution that will help us to remain ad-free at these websites, um, a $0.99 cent contribution once a week is what we're asking, Three ninety-six a month for those of you that would like to contribute. And then in addition to all this other stuff, the, the webinars that we're doing here and all the articles, um, you'll get more than that free trial 
of six sample programs and the free learning program and the text articles and all all of that, you'll get uh, the podcast that Steve and I do as well. And you can subscribe that right into your iTunes folder, you know. So it'll work, or your RSS reader or the built-in player on the site. Um, it works just like this site. So there's really two allied sites, sister sites, so to speak. Um, this one, theagelesswisdom.com, and the uh, site that Steve and I do together, focuspassion.com. So if you can find uh, 396 a month, uh, 99 cents a week to keep us ad-free and help pay for the bandwidth, um, that'd be great. That'd be super, but it's not necessary. Of course, all these other programs, including this class, will always be gratis. And we feel strongly about providing this programming to you. The only thing, actually, that we that we request, uh, besides supporting us in that way, is that you share these programs. Uh, the Finding Yourself in Paradise premium audio podcast and the webinars that we're doing here. Both these sites have cool little gadgets where you can share one with a friend do it as often as you want, as many times as you want, to as many different people as you'd like, and there's no charge for that at all for either of the programs or um, any of the stuff you want to forward. We're, it's all no copyrights, no royalties. Please pass it on. We we really think we can make a difference in the world that way. Before we begin, I want to take just one more minute. I really. I, I, I'm really not sure what else to add to this comment. I could do a whole program at this point um, about Barack Obama's speech in Egypt to the college students in Cairo this past week. I watched all of the outtakes, and then my wife Doreen and I sat down and watched the entire speech on C-SPAN, it's one of the most remarkable speeches I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I don't say that as a Democrat, but as a human being, as a, as a citizen of the world, as an American, as, uh, as a compassionate human being, a, a person that believes we can end all war and eliminate all nuclear weapons and do it in a non-political way, by eliminating fear, essentially by loving our enemies. Few people have any idea, unfortunately, what that means, especially those Christians that know that it was Jesus the Christ that talked about loving your enemy. And yet, among the millions and millions of Christians, hundreds of millions of Christians in the world, very few can tell you what that means, because love is thought of as an emotion. Uh, but basically it means stop frightening people. All right, To love your enemy means stop frightening them, stop using fear to, to frighten them, and stop being afraid of them in return, for fear breeds fear, and hatred breeds hatred. And as we can see by eight years of Bush and Cheney, uh, fighting terror with terror makes you no different than the terrorist. You are the terrorist. You are the enemy. It's a jabberwocky, upside-down world that 
Barack Obama uh, seems to understand. I also will say briefly that making this a personality cult around Barack, I think, is dangerous for he is a human being and he's going to make mistakes. He's going to screw up. Uh, he's already disappointing many on the left. Um, and I won't get into the details, but I'm not sure the president um, has all the authority that we believe that he or she might have. Uh, there is obviously, well, it's not so obvious to some people, it's obvious to me, a shadow government, somebody behind the scenes that um, uh, has the ability to apply a lot of pressure, let's say. <clears throat> Excuse me, let me take a sip of tea. And I think that uh, Brock has to deal with that shadow government. He and Tony Blair have already made references to shadow governments and shadow banking, um, but the media is not reporting it because they're part of it. And I don't mean to sound conspiratorial. It's just 40 years as a working journalist. I know that there's more to government than what meets the eye, than the, the, the pretense of uh, elected representatives and such, as you can see from the bailout of the banks with no strings attached. They just stole all their money and then came in and stole more money. And, you know, the people that did it are walking around free. So without dwelling on this, and because I'm anxious to get into our topic of the day, I just want to encourage you, if you, if you have, um, and I'm sure most of you do, access to C-SPAN, I'm sure they'll play this speech for a few more days in its entirety. Um, I don't know if it's on YouTube, um, but you could check there. But start with C-SPAN on your cable and see if you can find this speech. It's just remarkable. I mean, it's like as if you could turn on the TV and watch Lincoln give the Gettysburg Address. This is one of the great speeches in the history of the world just unbelievable and uh, I'm going to watch it again I was I was just stunned and again I'm not saying this is a, uh, a political partisan I, I don't give two hoots for the Democratic Party or the Republican Party I, I've never been that interested in in politics my my passions for what to many people have seen as political uh, tend to be psychological, uh, educational, and spiritual in nature. I'm, I'm opposed to war, not as a Democrat. You know, I'm opposed to war because I can't really tolerate the the cruelty and the inhumanity. Very, very difficult. Um, so, I think there's a lot of folks with us today that might feel that same way. All right, so having said that, and encouraging you to check it out, C-SPAN, I think, is a great place to go. Um, let's uh, do our class. And also, we do have this new system. I don't know if I'm going to be able to use it or not, because I've tried logging in and hooking up to it, and it's resisting me. I just don't know how to do it yet, but I'm excited about it, because... 
what we're going to be able to do, if not today, but fairly soon, is unmute some of the callers. Now, in the past, those people listening on the telephone um, have had to be muted out. Right now, everybody who is listening on the telephone is muted because there's line static and crying babies and barking dogs and paper rustling and people forget they're on a conference call and they start yelling out to somebody in the other room. And Boy, it doesn't take very many people on the phone for that to add up. But I'm, I'm subscribing to an expanded service here that apparently is going to allow you to push a button on your phone or take some action that will essentially raise your hand. And I'll see that on the web on this end. I'll see that your hand is raised, so to speak, electronically, and be able to unmute just that one caller, all right, and take that call and then mute them again and unmute only one other caller, just one at a time. And that'd be like a real radio talk show. So I subscribed to the upgrade. I haven't been able to make it work yet, <clears throat> but I'm sure I will. I'll figure it out sooner or later, and uh, we'll be able to do that. So you could listen on both. Just be aware that the web is about 15 or 20 seconds behind real time. If you're listening to me now on the web, you're hearing me 15 to 20 seconds behind real time. If you dial up on the telephone with the web feed on in the background, you'll see what I'm talking about. So that could be a little disconcerting, but um, really not that different from radio. We usually have a 7-second or a 10-second delay in radio, so you can punch people out of if they start cursing on the air. And hence, you always hear people on the radio saying to the caller, please turn your radio down because of the delay. Well, the delay here is going to be a little longer. But I'm excited about that. We'll see if we can make it work. And if not this week, um, I'll call the help desk and figure out what I'm not doing. And we'll be able to do that in the future. Won't that be cool? And in addition, you'll be able to, as you've always done here, enter text comments at the bottom of the page. All right? So we'll do that a little bit later. Well, let me suggest that if you want to follow along, you can uh, go to the uh, the web page where I have mainly Seven Laws of Life posted. Now, what I suggest you do, we did this a few weeks ago, seemed to work pretty well. Whatever browser you're using, if you look at the very top line of your computer on the left, it'll say the name of the browser. You're probably using Internet Explorer or perhaps Firefox. You might be using Safari or Opera. There's a bunch of different browsers, different ways to get around the Internet. And just to the right of that, still on the very top title bar, You'll see File, Edit, and so on. Click on File, and when the drop-down menu opens, click New Window. And you'll have two windows open at the same time. <clears throat> so the one you're using to listen to me now, you just leave, 
And then the one that just opened, when you clicked on New Window, uh, in that window, click on it to make it active, and then click inside the URL box and type theagelesswisdom.com. Or if you have a bookmark for my site, use that, and go to theagelesswisdom.com in the second window that you opened up. When that comes up, click on Home Page to go inside. And then scroll down. You'll see all the links on the left, all the navigation links. Scroll down to Wisdom Nuggets. Click on Wisdom Nuggets. And when you go inside, you'll see in the left-hand column the seven laws of life. Let's see. Wisdom Nuggets. There's one. There's two columns, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. About eight links down, you'll see the seven kingdoms, seven laws of life, the seven chakras, the seven rays. Click on the seven laws of life. And here's an excerpt from Manley's book, Questions and Answers, Fundamentals of the Esoteric Sciences, copyright 1965. And these are the seven laws we're going to talk about today and uh, and review for you here. can't believe it's half past already. Hold on a sec. And uh, so I'll go through these fairly quickly. Then we'll go to your questions and your comments uh, for those live on the Internet. Just use the box at the bottom of the page that that uh, you're listening to that brought you here. Again, you can go back and forth between these two windows just by clicking on the frame. And uh, you scroll down to the bottom, and, or you probably don't even have to scroll. You'll see questions and comments down at the bottom. <clears throat> just enter that uh, question or comment with your name and the city where you are, and be sure to click on Submit. You can do that at any time during the program, and um, I'll go to those a little bit later, and we'll see if we can do that for the telephones, too. Again, I haven't been able to bring that up yet. This is the first week I've had it available, but uh, we'll test it out. If it doesn't work, I'll figure it out uh, by next week. So here we go, the seven laws of life, okay, Manly Hall. I talked to you about Manly Hall, who he was. I talked to you about his contribution. And uh, this is, again, just a nice little list of some of the basic laws of life, if you want to understand life, if you want to roll up your sleeves and go beyond the extremely simple worldview that most people have. Um, again, not, not to demean anybody's willingness to understand life, but <clears throat> to, to understand life, it's your life. You really have to understand yourself or desire to understand yourself as a unique individual, and most people do not. So we're not talking about a way to become superior to those people. Quite the contrary. Um, the more you know about yourself, uh, the safer you'll feel and the more you like who you are, and then the easier it is to fall in love with other people. And you start loving people that you don't love, but you sort of like, and then you start 
loving people that you don't really even like, and pretty soon you can have compassion for the people that are even out to get you, which is all in your interest and certainly in the world's interest as well. As I've said before, and it certainly needs repeating, to see the people who frighten us, to see the people who are responsible for great evil in the world as frightened people is not easy to do, but it's necessary to understand that the people that do the most horrible and despicable things in this world commit the atrocities um, that kill and murder and maim and plunder um, to see them as frightened people is essential I think to any real understanding of what life's about so to recognize fear to face fear first the fear in your life the fear of who you may be that's most of the fear in your life born of not knowing yourself better. To face that, then, is the entree or the portal to facing all of the other fear, the fear of other people, the fear of that which at first glance appears not to be you, but really is in some remarkable ways. So let's uh, run down this list. We'll start, number one, with evolution. And Manley says, the first law of life, evolution, all things are unfolding in the first law of life. Evolution is about the unfoldment of things. This is a word Manly uses, unfold, unfolding, even the noun unfoldment. It's a word you run into in philosophy a lot. It's a beautiful word in that it reframes the idea of spiritual progress from attaining something that you don't have to evoking something that you already do. Do you understand that paradox? you know what I'm saying? Like, religious people will often even reach up with their arms, like little kids, you know, who want to be picked up. Uh, it's like, Raise me up. I, I want to be up there with you. Show me Jacob's ladder that I might climb closer to my source. Uh, raise me up, right? Ascension. I want to ascend to heaven. My aspiration is to move up. And yet, another look at it suggests you already are everything. And it's all within you. Your perfect spiritual nature uh, is within you. Your Buddha nature, your Christos, is already inside. It's just a matter of developing it and allowing it to come forth. So a word like unfold, unfolding, or unfoldment, when you run into that in psychology, um, I'm sorry, in philosophy, consider this concept. Uh, you're bringing forth something you already are as opposed to attempting to develop a skill from outside of yourself. So you'll see that when you see that word, that should be a red flag. And here it is, number one, very first sentence, the law of evolution. All things are unfolding is the first law of life. 
Evolution, or more correctly, ideation, is a gradual release from within of the divine potency behind form. Let me pause here and point out that ideation is really a word that goes back to Plato. Um, Plato suggested the truth of things was in its ideation, and the ideation of all things, or the truth of all things, exists in the mind of the Most High, uh, the Most Divine, the Godhead, or what religious people often call God and tend to picture as a, a giant who lives in the clouds. Ideation, Plato would say, the truth of the rose is not in the rose, for the rose always changes form. It's never the same, you know, two seconds in a row. It's growing, it's developing, it's budding, it's blossoming, it's unfolding. So where's the truth of the rose, the, the eternal and infinite nature of the rose, if this form is always changing? And Plato said it would be in the ideation, or in God's idea, the truth of things is in ideation. Right? So Manley is saying evolution is just another word for ideation, the gradual release from within of the divine potency behind form. Beautiful sentence, or one sentence in. <laughs> very, very well written. Let's continue. The growth of bodies and the development of form bear witness to the emergence of inward spiritual forces. The emergence of forces that are already inside you. Among the axioms of the ancient alchemist is one that says, There is a sun in every grain of sand. All is in all. One is in all. And all is in one. I know that sounds like a riddle. Uh, what it is, in fact, is not a riddle, but a paradox. Um, you could argue a paradox is a riddle. It's paradoxical to say that everything is in the one, and the one is in everything. But if you can begin to get your head around that definition of the most divine, again, what religious people call God, what a philosopher calls the absolute, you've got a really nice model to work with that transcends the elementary and I'd say blasphemous concept of God as a form, as a man, as a white guy, like the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Um, you won't find that in Jewish temples or uh, Islamic uh, mosques. There are no statues, there are no frescoes, there are no uh, stained glass windows, there are no paintings of God. Um, Christians, for whatever reason, allow that. They say that they don't worship false gods, as the Jews and the Muslims say, but they're okay with statues and pictures and all of that. So, in philosophy, what Manley is saying is you really need, at the very least, 
two definitions of God, not as form, but as, number one, transcendent divinity, which is the container of all things, God above and free of form, and containing all things. So God transcendent is everything in the one. The one life, the one thing, the one God, whatever name you hook to it, right? Whatever religion or spiritual philosophy you use to approach it, God transcendent in esoteric philosophy begins with the idea of the totality of all things. There is nothing that is not God. If something existed outside of God, well, then how could God be God? This is one of the main dilemmas in Christianity because they have, and Muslims uh, and Jews have this too. You don't find it so much in the East. Um, But the three Western monotheistic religions have this presence of evil. And, and, And most would tell you that Evil exists outside of God, and God has this big struggle. God is good, but evil is bad, right? The the devil, the the de evil, the devil, uh, good God, evil devil, God devil are forms of good and evil. But esoteric philosophy says they're not opposing forms. Um, except in a limited worldview that ultimately all things, even evil, even that which appears to be evil, which would be good that is unrefined or good that is unredeemed, would exist within God. So even cancer and war and uh, mosquitoes and cockroaches and all kinds of things you don't like are part of this God transcendent, God imminent, would be the divine in every seemingly separated thing. This is not the word immanent with an A, which means about to happen, but imminent with an I, imminent meaning contained within. So everything in the one is God transcendent. The one in every seemingly separated bit of form is God imminent. And, again, a simple-minded person would say, well, which is it? Make up your mind. And the wise women and men say, it's both. And that's what Manley just said here, that there is a sun in every grain of sand. That's God imminent. Divinity is in all things. No particle of matter is so small as to exclude the divine. So the one is in every seemingly separated thing. But the reverse is true. All is, how does he say it? All is in all, one is in all, and all is in one. So that's God imminent and God transcendent. The one in everything and everything in the one. Play around with it. it this is a very liberating concept and a really beautiful place to begin, especially if you're new to esoteric philosophy. I mean, I know there are millions and millions and millions of people that are fed up with the elementary nature of religion, and yet they find enough truth in it 
and they're passionate enough about the ethics and the morality and this inner longing that each of us have to understand ourselves better and to know life better, to witness the beauty of love beyond the appearance of things is is, is such a, a drive or a pull, if you will, that many people stay with religion even though it's quite insulting, especially these these older fairy tales. And then it, you have sort of this either-or suggestion. You've got to take it literally. That means Jonah really was swallowed by the whale, and Noah really built a boat and put two of every critter on the boat. And, and uh, Eve is talking to a snake in the garden, and the snake says, I've never heard a snake say, eat an apple. I mean... And that many of us say, well, I went to college. I learned about allegory and metaphor. This is poetry. This is symbolism. And the fundamentalists fight back and say, no, it's not. You've got to take everything literally. Well, it's increasingly difficult to take everything literally. We now know that the sun does not revolve around the earth. And the earth is not flat. And it was not created in six days. Evolution, here's our first principle, is ongoing. And it can be proven by breeding fruit flies. You probably did it in your high school biology class. Or the fact that every flu season we get a new flu. It's mutating. That's evolution. (laughs) It's not debatable, you see. So many of us are at the edge, having been educated well enough, we know that religion is just largely a nice group of stories, but there's enough truth in it that we don't want to abandon it entirely. So what do you do after religion? What do you do when you say this idea of God as a man on a cloud with castles in the sky living way out on the edge someplace where the Hubble telescope just can't see When you decide that that's juvenile and silly, how do you honor the longing? You have philosophy. You have this ancient search for truth. And that's the beauty of philosophy. It's also what's off-putting about philosophy is people want answers. They don't want questions. Tough. (laughs) That's the way it goes. In order to get answers... You've got to ask your questions, and this is a beautiful place to start. If not a man on the cloud, like we see in the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, what is God? And here you have this idea that may be right and it may be wrong. It's just a a, a whole new way for you to think, Uh, a springboard for you to catapult yourself forward to a greater not a lesser, but a greater understanding of what is divinity, handed down by wise women and wise men, magi, from the beginning of time. Okay, At least two definitions of God, transcendent and imminent. The one in every seemingly separated thing, and every seemingly separated thing, every form, 
in the one. All right, both of those. A little paradoxical, but that's where we begin with evolution. And again, the constant coming out then, the Manly says the constant coming outward of the withinness of things. It is not life growing from one state to another, but life gradually emerging and assuming new appearances at each degree of its emergence. Okay. So, if human beings did evolve from monkeys, then that potential was already in the monkey, which was already in the lizard, which was already in the amphibian, which was already in the microbe, don't you see? There's nothing about evolution that prevents us from seeing divinity enfolded within all forms of life now what's enfolded within us what spiritual potential exists within us that can come forward out of humanity the way we came out of lower forms of life that's already seated in there and some say the next kingdom the fifth kingdom vegetable or it starts actually with mineral vegetable animal human is the fourth kingdom the fifth kingdom is often called the kingdom of conscious souls the fifth kingdom is emerging now this is what the so-called new age is about the emergence of a kingdom of human beings that know that they are energy creatures they are consciousness or awareness caught up in form that they are a reflection of their potential, waiting inside us now, waiting to come forward. Wouldn't you like to bring that forward? All right. Pretty cool. Good place to begin. The second law of life, not carved into granite, not brought down off Mount Sinai by Moses, but assembled by thousands of really wise philosophers in all cultures and all times and just sort of summarized here by Manley. The second is karma or the law of cause and effect. And I'll read you Manley's paragraph. He says, next to evolution, next only to evolution in significance, the law of cause and effect decrees that every action in the universe must be followed by an appropriate reaction not unlike Newton's laws of motion, huh? And to this there is no exception of any kind. Buddha said, effect follows cause as the wheel of the cart follows the foot of the oxen. The whole idea of the ox cart is a very rich allegory in Buddhism, comes up in a lot of different ways, and it flows from this first statement. Effect follows cause, as the wheel of the cart follows the foot of the oxen. In other words, things don't just happen for no reason. Everything that happens in life happens for a reason. But in the cause and effect of things, humans often don't look at the primary cause 
which is consciousness. Let me pick up with Manley. In human affairs, he writes, karma decrees that every individual is individually responsible for his own actions and that every action will produce a reaction equivalent in every way to the integrity of the action. He goes on, if karma seems more bad than good, more retribution than reward, it's because their own code of action has been more selfish than intelligent. Do not wait for good karma. Make it now. Okay. I have a lot of resistance, frankly, and I think Manley would laugh if he heard me say this. I don't think he'd be upset. I personally have a lot of problems talking about good karma versus bad karma. To me, it's like talking about good gravity or bad gravity. You know, um, gravity is very beneficial in a lot of ways, but if you fell down and skinned your knee, are you going to say, oh, that's bad gravity because I fell down and I hurt myself? So that's bad gravity. Karma is law. It is not good or bad. But it does carry lessons. It provides us with opportunities to learn. And so the only thing I would add to this, and I don't have time in this single class today to go into it in any depth, that not only does every action create a karmic effect or reaction, but consciousness itself, every thought, and every feeling is magnetic and tends to manifest as well. And thus we learn, and so we unfold, and that's back to number one, evolution. This is how we evolve, number one, through, number two, the law of cause and effect of karma. Life shows you the consequences of your actions. This is why we must eliminate blame altogether. Even blame of self is irrelevant if you are to really grow and accelerate, initiate and accelerate your personal growth. The third law follows on. It is reincarnation. Manley says the law of evolution applied to the experience of individualized living things. The law of reincarnation teaches that all the kingdoms of nature are waves of life moving through force, I'm sorry, moving through form, or rather moving through levels of forms. Okay? Law of incarnation says that all the kingdoms of nature, mineral, plant, animal, human, and those that have yet to emerge, yes, those who have yet to emerge are waves of life moving through form, moving through levels of form, evolving. Man, learning the experiences of the physical world, lives here not once but many, many times. His life being really measured by the whole span of human evolution. In the search for experience, the human spirit returns to the physical world many times to work out its karma and perfect itself in the consciousness of the life waves. Okay? Now you say, that's hard to believe. Well, 
Much about life is hard to believe. If you're incarnated once, as most believe in the West, Muslim, Jew, Christian, um, how is it uh, a stretch of the imagination to believe that could happen again? See, what reincarnation requires is the idea of a pre-existing soul. And many Jews believed this, the mystics, the Kabbalists, um, in ancient times, though the knowledge was lost. And early Christians, the fathers of the Christian church, Origen, Augustine, they believed in reincarnation. It was um, 500 A.D. or so. 500 years after Jesus walked the earth that the church that bears his name, the Christian church, decided to eliminate reincarnation for fear that people wouldn't get busy about being holy. If they thought that they had many chances to go to heaven, they they wouldn't be good. They wouldn't come to church. They wouldn't put dollars in the in the plate on Sunday. They wouldn't build these incredible cathedrals they just hang out and party and have a good time you see so the teaching was eliminated even though a few every once in a while it slips through a, a born again will struggle to tell you what it means to be born again if not reincarnation then yet they say you're supposed to take everything literally so um, you know they have a tough time with that one the idea that you do need to be born again is in the Bible, but that's one example of where you're not supposed to take it literally, I, I guess. The, the idea that the soul pre-exists before you're born is a challenge to people that believe or have been told to believe that upon conception, God makes a new soul and tucks it inside that zygote. This bears even on the abortion controversy, okay, where you're not allowed to use, Catholics are not allowed to use birth control because a fertilized egg is thought to be a baby. Well, of course, they also thought that the sun revolved around the earth and the earth was flat. And when Galileo said, look through the telescope, they said no. And now we're saying, look through the microscope, and the church says no. We don't want to know the truth. It has the potential to be a baby, so these are these are these are very challenging concepts, but to and, and individuals are gonna to have to make make up their own minds in the end, not the state. That's what it comes down to in a practical sense. But this whole idea of reincarnation, of a soul existing from the beginning of time that is incarnated once, and maybe a second time, a third time, maybe hundreds of times. All right? Again, I, I'm tempted to go off on a, a discussion of what's so great about heaven and what are you going to do there for all eternity, if not grow. You know, the idea of rest in peace, how much time are you going to spend sitting in the rocking chair in heaven, watching the grass grow. 
um, wouldn't you like to watch yourself grow? And wouldn't that, if, if, if that's why we're incarnated in the first place, why not reincarnate? For by all appearances, everything has a season. It's cyclic. It goes round and round and round. Why should there be this most strange of all exceptions? Why would not life itself go round and round and round? Starts making sense. Okay. The fourth law is the law of vibration. Manley says, this law is the basis of all the differentiation in the universe. Differentiation. The various forms. Okay. He says, spirit is a rate of vibration. Thought is a rate of vibration. The universe is a complex of vibratory rates. Vibration is the first manifestation of life and is the nearest thing to God that the mind can conceive of. By discipline and effort, man can raise the vibration of the cells of his own body. This is called refinement. Thoughts are vibrations and therefore are capable of influencing those to whom they are directed. Music is vibration. Color is vibration. If man can completely understand vibration, he will be a master of most of the secrets of the world. <clears throat> this is like radio. Why You have all these radio stations around you. Depending on where you live, you have dozens, if not hundreds of radio stations. Why don't they get mixed up? Because each has a unique frequency. You know, I was in L.A. for 35 years, so I, I, I remember that KABC is at 790 on the AM dial. KLOS was at 95.5 on the FM dial. Those are frequencies. 790 kilocycles is, is how often the radio signal vibrates out of KABC. The only other station the government allows to be on that same frequency is far enough away that they won't commingle. But what keeps those radio stations separate and discreet is their frequency. Well, the same is true for color. Why is red not purple? What keeps them separated? They're different frequencies. What about pitch in music? What makes a C different from an A? It's the frequency. <laughs> a below middle C is 440 cycles per second. C is a higher frequency. I don't know the number, 600 and something. Every note is a different frequency. Every color a different frequency. Now look at the world around you as if every seemingly separated thing is a different frequency. And imagine if your consciousness, if your awareness, if behind your thoughts and your feelings is an ability to lift that frequency, to refine that frequency, just like you find the right note on the piano and the snare drum over in the corner begins to rattle all by itself, sympathetic oscillation, sympathetic vibration. You put a radio signal into an antenna, it begins to vibrate just like plucking a guitar string with a pick or dragging a bow across a violin string. 
Shorten the string, it vibrates faster and creates a higher note. These are the principles of vibration that the ancients have talked about from the beginning of time. And yet, basic physics and metaphysics tends to be missing from the three monotheistic religions of the West. The Hebrew, the Christian, and the Muslim. Now, if there's vibration, there has to be polarity, and so the fifth law that Manley talks about is the law of polarity. And he writes in this short paragraph, all things in nature are dominated by the universal law of polarity and the correlative fact that poles are constantly alternating. We know this is true even of the poles of the earth. The moon has poles. All of the planets have poles. The sun has poles. And they're magnetic in nature, and they it's not just where the ice forms, right? The sun has poles, and I assure you, it's no cooler at the poles on the sun, but they have magnetic poles, and those polarities shift and change. They're in flux, and sometimes they even reverse. Manley goes on, the law of polarity in the universe is manifested in the relationship between suns, stars, and their planets, and also throughout nature in the principle of male and female. The spiritual principle in all things is androgynous, but in manifestation is always polarized. In reincarnation, the sex of the body alternates. Even the earth reverses its poles. So you're a, he says sex, I think gender is a better word, that gender alternates, right? So in one life we take the form of a man, in another life we take the form of a woman. I can't, nobody knows if it's precise every other life. You might be a man three lives in a row and a woman for five lives and then a man and a woman and, you know, but Spirit is androgynous. You don't have a male soul or a female soul. A soul does not know gender. It is it is whole in that regard. But when it manifests in the form, it takes one polarity over the other. But notice, a polarity is not totally exclusive of the nature of the other. So all of us in male bodies have some degree of a feminine polarity within us. We have a feminine nature. And all women, all those human beings in feminine bodies have a masculine pole. And it has influence to varying degrees. And this can help you understand the nature of sexuality, of uh, of uh, uh, homosexual or to be gay or lesbian uh, or just maybe somebody is straight and that they're heterosexual attracted to what did Miss America, Miss California say, the opposite marriage to the opposite you see 
but they might some are some men are more masculine than others, and some more effeminate, and some women are very masculine, um, and others more feminine. There's, it's just not an either or. There's all the the variations and shades in the middle, and that's the nature of polarity. You look at a bar magnet; you've got a masculine pole and a feminine pole, but there's not a point on the bar magnet in the middle where masculine becomes feminine. Every point on the bar magnet is both masculine and feminine. Every point on the bar magnet is both influenced by the North Pole and the South Pole, but as you get closer to one pole, its influence becomes stronger, and the influence of the other pole is less, but, you see, it may go from 60-40 to 70-30 to 90-10, but... but it doesn't mean once you cross over the 50-yard line, it's the opposite. Very nice. Very cool. Now we have two more I want to run down real quickly. Harmony and rhythm is number six. This law, Manley says, shows that all motions in the cosmos are dominated by a certain flowing order. The universe does everything beautifully. It's all an elegant dance. Man, living beautifully, comes into harmony with life and moves with the rhythm of the world, or could. By cultivating harmony and rhythm in himself, man becomes conscious of the universal notion that the Tao, or the ever-flowing reality, all the universe sings, and every atom is dancing to the rhythm of the sun. Ultimate harmony. Harmony is the path from diversity to unity. One of the great trinities is unity corresponding to the Father aspect, our divine will. Harmony corresponding to divine love, or the Son aspect. And then um, diversity, of course, corresponds to the Mother or what Christians call the Holy Spirit, because we can't have women in there, right? So father, son, mother, will, love, manifested, uh, manifested intelligence is really unity, harmony, and diversity. So harmony is another word for the wisdom, for love, truth, for the soul, for the center, for the son of father, spirit, and mother, matter. Harmony and rhythm. You know, time is an illusion. There is no past. There is no future. There is just this unfolding now. But within that unfoldment, there is always an in-breath and an out-breath, a yin and a yang, a cyclic nature. So, although time is but an eternal moment that unfolds, it has its rhythm, right? It does have rhythm. So don't be too confused about that. If you've learned from esoteric philosophy or studying Eastern religion that time, like space, is essentially an illusion, don't overlook rhythm. That doesn't mean there isn't rhythm. All right. And the last is generation. Manley says, in the world of form, all things must increase by the law of generation. By this law... Only wholeness or completeness can produce anything. 
the law of polarity has resulted in a division of forms in order that part of the creative power could be devoted to the building of intellect. The law of generation therefore decrees everywhere in nature that the reproduction of any kind of form, emotion, or thought is not just physical reproduction, but to reproduce an emotion or a belief system, that that reproduction must arise from the union of two polar opposites. He says we see evidence in the human brain, in the two hemispheres of the brain that have to combine their forces before a thought can be born. Isn't it interesting that that which appears as form comes out of the oneness of things, but then the polarities of that form have to be harmonized. The vibration needs to be harmonized to create something new, a new one out of the many, the one in the many. This is the hermetic as above, so below. You know, if this is if this is because it's perhaps new to you, difficult to understand, I'd encourage you to be playful with these concepts. Um, people who have a good experience in math and graphs and waveforms and electromagnetism are going to do much better at first with these laws, but they're not complicated. This is fifth grade science. A ten-year-old can understand this, but, you know, they're in school all day long, five days a week, and you and I aren't. We got out of school, so if you're willing to dedicate a few hours to this kind of study, just to reread this a bunch of times, okay, and grow your library, your collection. Uh, I think it will start making a whole lot of sense. Just don't be off-put by the fact that it is a little confusing. It is a bit paradoxical in the beginning. I'm going to try this new feature one more time to see if I can get signed in. It just doesn't want to sign me in here. I really wanted to do this, so we'll see if we can. Uh, I'm going to try to figure out how to unmute the callers one at a time. Because I upgraded to that feature, and I'll see if we can have that for you next week. But in the interim, those of you that are listening live on the web anyway can type a question or a comment into the little box in the bottom of the main page in front of you, and we'll go there now and acknowledge you, say hello to you and uh, then do a little visualization exercise before we call it a day. Well, here's a fellow I haven't heard from in a while. Hi, Bobby. Nice to hear from you. Rob in San Antonio, Texas says hello. and He's just checking in. Bob Sunwater from She Who Remembers wants to say hi. Nice to hear from you, Bob. Carol Postel in La Habra is with us. She says hello again. Michael and Doreen. Ginger, just south of London, says, Aloha, Michael, and aloha to you, Ginger. She says, just got back from London, Lucius Trust, Full Moon Meditation. I'm sure many of you know Lucius Trust and the Bailey material, Alice Bailey. 
Full Moon Meditation for this one is World Invocation Day, and the end of the three spiritual festivals, the festivals of spring. I wonder if I even remember them. Wesak, Humanity, Wesak is the big one, and then the Festival of Humanity, and there's another one, every spring, each full moon. And today, she says, the enemies of Christ and Wesak or Buddha flows into humanity, or the energies, not the enemies, my goodness, of uh, Christ and Wesak or Buddha flows into humanity, and it was very strong to be with so many on this day. Um, very strong to be with so many on this day, and then they come home and listen to you. Love, Ginger. Thank you, Ginger. Thanks. That's sweet. I feel that also. Um, let's see. Bob Sunwater in San Antonio again with a little comment. Just saying hi again. Hi, Bobby. Uh, Carol says, uh, I thought of you when Obama said we need to beware of the cruelness in ourselves, an esoteric thing for a president to say. You've always talked about what humanity does to humanity. Yeah. Carol referring to my comment at the very top here. And uh, let's see what else. I have a bunch of people not leaving their names in the box, which is cool, I guess. I mean, no problem, but it would be nice if there was a chat board. Yeah, that's what we're working on. We're working on the chat board. Um, okay, so let me hit refresh and see if anybody else is coming in to say hi. I guess that's it. So let's do our... Uh, Let's do, oh, I have a very nice turnout today. This is very gratifying for me. I'm just checking the totals. I never know who you are. I can't see your name or I can't see your face or your computer or anything. I just get a count. And uh, I'm glad you like this. Again, I want to remind you to use the share one with a friend button. There's just no other way to promote the availability of this material. If you don't forward these to your friends and tell your friends about it. And it's one thing to tell them, but that's in one ear and out the other. To use this built-in gadget on the website to forward them a link that they can listen to right there in their email. Well, I think that's the way to go. And again, it's free. It's all free. Even the uh, the uh, so-called premium audio podcast. Um, six of those are free, and all the excerpts are free, and all the articles are free at FocusPassion.com. But as a contributor, once you're willing to ante up 99 cents a week, then it costs nothing to forward all those programs to your friends as well. I think, well, geez, isn't it obvious that a lot of your friends are looking for this kind of stuff? And, you know, we, we're not a church. We're not a membership group. There's nothing to join here. You know, I'm a journalist. That's my background. Steve is a corporate trainer. He, he trains CEOs. That's who we are. That's what we're about. So you're not joining anything, certainly not any group that is separated from any other group. So 
hope you will use the send one to a friend gadget at theagelesswisdom.com under web teleconference and at Focus Passion. It's right below the built-in player. All right, why don't you close your eyes and relax, and let's do a little alpha process here and install some of this information. I'm just going to do a brief one today because I can't install all seven of these principles. But we can do the basics. If you'll close your eyes, get comfortable. Take a nice, slow, deep breath or two as you get balanced and centered. And as you allow your breathing to find a natural rhythm, to find its own cadence, just begin to create and sense a feeling of relaxation. Feeling muscles from the top of your head to the soles of your feet and every place in between, unwinding. As if you're going to drop your guard and lower your defenses, as if you could feel that safe. With your eyes closed, with slow, natural breathing, and feeling in your body as safe as you could possibly imagine. Begin to visualize in your mind's eye a beautiful place of peace and relaxation, a paradise of some sort. And if you've done this before, it could be the same place you always go to, or it could be a different place, some garden, some Eden, some beautiful paradise with trees and bushes and flowers and grasses and sunny meadows and cool shaded places, perhaps enchanted forests. Wherever you happen to be or imagine yourself, could be a pine forest or a, a meadow, a savanna, a plains, could be on the beach or in the tropics, in the jungles. But feel yourself connected with nature because you're making this up and pretending is exactly the right feeling. Imagine that your place of peace is free from any danger whatsoever. Even pointed sticks and sharp rocks do not exist here so you could be barefoot you can imagine that you can imagine walking barefoot knowing that you made it up so there's no sharp rocks there's no pointed sticks no critters no insects no predators nothing's going to jump on you make it that safe as you find a place to sit upon the earth and feel rooted to the ground, connected or plugged in. And I'd like you to consider some of the more basic concepts that we learned today. First, the law of evolution. That everything that exists is ultimately part of one thing, one life. 
though it appears in separated forms. Everything appears to be separated from this or that. This tree is not that tree over there. Or is it? Are they not both rooted in the same ground? Do the trees not breathe the same air and bathe in the same sunlight? So this tree is not that tree until you relax and look a little more closely and see that they share a ground, a common ground, the physical earth, but what philosophers from time out of mind have called the ground of the one life, the ground of God. And look at the beauty of nature. Find me anything in nature that is truly separate, separated or not beautiful. In fact, the more odd-looking something is, the more asymmetrical it is, the more beautiful it is. Would you rather ponder the, the perfect tree or the one that's been struck by lightning and misshapen and burned up one side, which is more attractive to you, which begs to be contemplated. That which appears not to be perfect and separated and yet is beautiful, and you realize could not be separated, other than by appearance, clearly by appearance. This single forest is made up of many trees. The tree has many branches. Each branch has many leaves. Each leaf has many cells. Each cell, many molecules. Each molecule, many parts. And each of those has its subatomic parts. But reverse that awareness. Pull back and see all those parts as part of one molecule, one cell, one leaf, on one branch, on one tree, in one forest, on one earth, and keep going in one solar system, rotating around a single sun, in one galaxy, in one cluster of galaxies, in one universe, one verse. And both things are true. The appearance of separated form and the harmony of vibration that creates the appearance of a distinct form, yet the vibration emanates, perhaps, it certainly would seem, from a single source that all these separated things are not separated or alienated at all, that they are inalienable is the definition of the divine transcendent. Everything in the one. But that the one is also in every one of those things as vibration, as consciousness, is the divine imminent the one in every 
thing. Someone with less exposure to this material than you might say, well, which is it? And from your place of peace, you realize it's both. Both things are true. And even then, are we not using separated words in separated sentences, in separated paragraphs? Are those words not made up of separated sounds from separated languages? Do we really think we can speak the truth? The great Chinese sage Lao Tzu said, the truth that can be told is not the truth. All we can do with language is hope to approximate the truth. But you could feel it beyond language. You, you can feel it beyond emotional feelings. You can feel it beyond thought. There is awareness. See if you can feel the awareness of harmony beyond separated thoughts and feelings. In meditations where you do not have the narrative that I'm providing, look at the space between your thoughts. Or if you're like me, especially auditory, listen for the silence between your thoughts and see if you can expand that space or that silence between the thoughts, the pictures, the sounds of your mind churning, demanding that you listen to it. One of the reasons the mind talks to you so incessantly is you listen to it. You think the mind is in charge. If you gave it up, you're not sure what would remain. Try giving it up and see what remains. There's a silence. It may not last long. But there is a silence. There is a space in between and yet you remain you didn't die when you stopped thinking there for just a second or two in fact you became more aware as if your thoughts and your feelings had distracted you from something that was true capital T true as if when your eyes are open and you focus on physical sense and sensation, you've been distracted from reality, not brought into it. And perhaps both things are true and more. A third way, a fourth possibility, a fifth way of looking at things, but be not a slave to your thoughts and your emotions. You can turn away and put your attention on the silence and this vague feeling, vague at first, 
of harmony, of contentment, of wholeness, of acceptance, of surrender, of satisfaction, of life in this moment being richer than you can even imagine. And if life in this moment is that full, that replete, that rich, why long for more? Why lose the awareness of the one in search of more separated parts? When you could let go of the search and just be right here, right now, aware of the whole thing. And it has its ebb and flow. How that occurs to you. This peace, this silence, this harmony, this beauty will have its ebb and flow, will change. But it's all here right now. There's no place to go. There's nothing that needs doing. There is no advancement other than the unfolding of harmony and beauty, of love and truth and peace and understanding. And we accelerate that. We initiate and and consciously accelerate that awareness by allowing ourselves to simply be aware. There is no effort here other than the risk of facing that which for so many of us is new and unknown. You're here. You listened to this program today. Perhaps you've listened to others in the past and will come again in the future. Hopefully you will seek out similar material, other books, other teachers, other paths. Not to find the one right way, but to embrace all the paths, as many diverse paths as possible to find your particular way to awareness to being awake that's what your life is about not the acquisition of material goods not wishing you had more stuff not pretending that you'd be happy if only more people were impressed with who you are and what you have. But simply being willing to face what you don't know about yourself. To discover the truth that you are the one life. As consciousness, as awareness, you are the one thing from a particular point of view, as long as you're in this form, from a particular point of view, never separated, never alienated, yet living in a life of form. So do your best. Not through effort, but by permitting and allowing yourself 
to feel that peace, that love, that contentment, that fulfillment. Suggesting gently and quietly to yourself that you bring a bit of this with you back into the room. Remembering where you sit so that in a moment when I suggest you open your eyes, you'll be wide awake and alert with a full memory of this exercise and a deep understanding of our lesson today. And so as it feels appropriate for you, get ready. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, pulling in strength and power. Fill your lungs, and ah, as you exhale, open your eyes now, wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, and back in the room. Feeling fine, full memory, deep understanding. The book is Questions and Answers by Manley Hall, The Seven Laws of Life. You can come back to the Wisdom Nuggets page of theagelesswisdom.com. Go to the web teleconference page anytime you want to hear a replay of this program or others. And again, I really would like you to visit focuspassion.com, our sister site, where you'll find six free programs, including a whole accelerated learning course, How to Learn, Give it to your kids. Give it to people you know who have kids, okay, in school. You know, kids don't quit school or do poorly because they want to. They just don't know how to learn. Here's a free four-part, five-part series on how to learn. Give it away. It's free at FocusPassion.com. Two other programs, free. A bunch of excerpts, all free. This webinar is free. All the articles are free. And yet, if you'd like to help us stay ad-free, I hate these ads that we see on all these websites. I would rather not do ads, but bandwidth costs money. If you can find the 99 cents a week and be a contributing supporter, a sustainer, a sponsor for 99 cents a week, sign up at FocusPassion.com. And if not, that's cool, too. All right? But in any event, use that send one to a friend gadget. Let's get the word out, all right? Not the one right way. We're looking at all the right ways. Harmony. That's the lesson of the day today, I think. Hey, thanks very much for being with us. I really appreciate it. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. Aloha from Maui, Hawaii. This is Michael Benner. <laughs>